Hello and welcome. This is Search for Truth, your Bible teaching program with our radio teacher, Brian Johnston. Thanks for tuning in. Now, Brian continues with talk number four in this series of seven ideas that turn the world upside down, or as we heard last week, turn the world the right way up. For Christianity has the means to right a world which has not only lost purpose and direction, but has totally reversed most of the God-given principles which ensure peace and harmony in our present turbulent world. Today, Brian will explore how Christianity explains the universe better than atheism does. So I hand over to Brian. Thanks, John. At Athens, the ancient centre of learning... Paul's reasoned case for Christianity caught the attention of some who belonged to the various schools of philosophy. Some of them effectively wrote Paul off as a babbler. The actual word they used literally described Paul as a seed picker. It seemed to picture someone gathering up seeds in order to scrape together a meal for himself, just as some desperate person today might sift through rubbish bins or garbage cans in order to find enough food to live on. Applied to Paul, they were sneeringly suggesting that here was a poorly educated person who travelled around picking up other people's ideas and feeding on their opinions before trading in them as though they were his own. They couldn't have been more wrong. There are those who give a reasoned case for Christianity today, and they get sneered at too. History will once again prove them wrong. The sneering may raise a popular cheer, but the intellectual case for Christianity is stronger. Consider first how, if atheism is true, then life is ultimately without purpose. The Nobel Prize-winning scientist Steven Weinberg, an outspoken atheist, writes, The more the universe seems comprehensible, the more it also seems pointless. But if there is no solace in the fruits of our research, there is at least some consolation in the research itself. The effort to understand the universe is one of the very few things that lifts human life a little above the level of farce and gives it some of the grace of tragedy. Weinberg considers life as being ultimately without purpose, but he does talk about how a passion for actually doing science gives life a temporary lift above the level of farce, and he finds a crumb of comfort in that. On the other hand, A real sense of purpose is to be found in the Bible's proposition that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I want you to consider also how if atheism is true, then life is ultimately without meaning. In an address to the American Academy for the Advancement of Science in 1991, Dr. Rue encouraged his distinguished audience to cheat on their atheistic worldview if they wanted to be happy. He recommended that they should deceive themselves into believing some kind of noble lie, which gave them and the universe some meaning. He said the lesson of the past two centuries is that intellectual and moral relativism is profoundly the case. He explained that this, when taken to extreme, results in a drive by each of us to live only for ourselves without any sense of community. To avoid the fabric of society being destroyed in that way, Dr. Rue saw only two possible solutions to overcome this logical result of atheism. One was a totalitarian state, where the wishes of individuals were suppressed by the state imposing its own values on all of society. And he didn't want that. 
The alternative was to embrace some form of noble lie. A noble lie, according to him, is one that deceives us, tricks us, compels us to go beyond self-interest, beyond ego, beyond family, nation and race. Why call it a lie? His answer was, because it tells us the universe is infused with value and because it makes a claim to universal truth, things which atheists deny. Rue adds, without such lies we cannot live. On the other hand, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth and the life. What Dr. Rue judged to be missing is in reality to be found in Christ and in the noble truth of Christianity when Christ's faithful followers live selflessly for the interests of others. Then I'd ask you to consider also how, if atheism is true, then life is basically unlivable. The German philosopher Nietzsche, who died in the year 1900, made popular the saying, God is dead. People at that time failed to realise, and many still do, the consequences of killing God philosophically, by declaring that he doesn't exist. That's why Nietzsche concluded, I have come too early. This tremendous event is still on its way. But 45 years after his death, the time had come, and everyone since then should know the terrible consequences of believing there's no God. The point Nietzsche anticipated was this. In a world which believes there's no God, objective right and wrong can't exist and so all things may be permitted. When Nietzsche's fellow countryman, Hitler, put Nietzsche's ideas into practice, the world soon learnt the horrors that follow when we live consistently with the idea that God is dead and life is senseless. If God doesn't exist, then our world becomes an Auschwitz. This is man without God. It's life without sense. On the other hand, Jesus claimed... I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And finally, consider please how if atheism is true, then it's not supported by scientific explanation. Atheistic scientists like Richard Dawkins concede that science has no strongly satisfying explanation for why the universe appears to have been fine-tuned with the precise conditions ideally suited to life as we know it. But he urges his readers not to give up hope in some kind of multiverse theory. That's the totally speculative idea that a trillion trillion parallel universes exist simply to explain the remote chance of this one being as it is. In this unpublicised section, Dawkins appeals to his readers not to give up hope in the discovery of some new scientific theory that will one day save atheism. On the other hand, that which is known about God is evident, Romans chapter 1 says. For God made it evident, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes have been clearly seen through what has been made. But they did not honour him as God, but they became futile in their speculations. Well, I think it's time to have a little bit of history. Leading the siege of Syracuse in 213 BC, was a Roman general called Marcellus, whose nickname was the Sword of Rome. When Marcellus brought his troops and the Roman navy up against the citadel of Syracuse, the Romans encountered frightful war machines that they'd never seen before, 
and far more sophisticated than anything that the Romans had invented. One of those war machines was especially astonishing and downright terrifying to the Roman navy as their ships approached the cliffs outside Syracuse the sailors looked up and saw huge jaws descending from the sky these jaws came down gripped a Roman ship hoisted that ship a hundred feet or so into the air and then the jaws released the ship and crew dashing them down upon the rocks The Romans couldn't believe what they were seeing as ropes and metal manipulated by the unheard of technical marvels of pulleys and levers came down and gripped their ships. However, eventually, the Romans were victorious. General Marcellus' command was that the engineer who developed these new weapons was to be unharmed when and if he was found. But as a Roman soldier approached the engineer, As he was sitting with the other prisoners, he found him passing the time by doing mathematical equations in the sand. The man was so absorbed in calculation that he didn't notice it was a Roman soldier who was approaching. Without taking his eyes off his calculations in the sand, he said, Be careful! Don't disturb my diagrams! And the Roman soldier killed him on the spot. And thus Archimedes met his death. Greek by birth, Born in 287 BC in Syracuse to Greek parents, educated in Alexandria, Egypt, Archimedes went on to become a remarkable mathematician, an exacting engineer, a brilliant inventor, a master craftsman, a skillful builder, and something of a philosopher. It was Archimedes who, so it is claimed, after having figured out the laws of buoyancy as he was stepping into his bathtub, ran into the streets naked, crying out, Eureka, I found it! Archimedes defined the principle of the lever and is credited with inventing the compound pulley. He was one of the most brilliant men, not only of the ancient world, but of all time. You may know the words he spoke to the king of Syracuse on one occasion. Give me a lever long enough and a place to stand and I will move the world. A little over 200 years after Archimedes made that statement, a lever was indeed found that was long enough to move the whole world. Revealed in the gospel of the cross is the power of God to set right a topsy-turvy world. It was the message of the cross which created the necessary leverage that continues to change the world. Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 reads, These men who have turned the world upside down, when referring to Paul and Cyrus, who used that gospel lever to turn their world upside down. By the way, When the Bible speaks of turning the world upside down, it's really speaking in terms of turning the world right side up. For we live in a topsy-turvy world, a world where all around us the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, where sin is often exalted and virtue mocked, a world in which it's been said that beggars ride on horseback while princes walk in rags. Ever since Eden, this world has been the wrong way up. And the message of Christianity is about what God has done through the cross of Christ to turn the world the right way up again. That's why this series is showcasing the revolutionary or counter-cultural ideas of the Christian message.
You may find it helpful to explore these issues more thoroughly with the transcript booklet of all the talks in this seven-part series. If you'd like one or more than one copy for group study or to pass on to friends, make sure to let us have your postal address, please, and ask for the title Seven Ideas. And you can also download booklets via the internet. Or you can order by email or by post. So, first of all, I'll give you the postal address: Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE five six LN, UK. And now here's our email address: sft at churchesofgod dot info. Now, if you wish, you can download audio, that's MP three versions, and podcasts. Of some past programs, just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk, and you can also access additional helpful material there. And some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle eBooks. Just type Search for Truth series into the search box. And、uh, you'll find、uh, back copy titles, and more are being made available each week. So it's、uh, worth going on、uh, from time to time. Oh, that's the end of our time today, and thanks for the privilege of your company. Join us next week if you can. But until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, and me, John. So goodbye, and may God richly bless you. Came from God, it's for you.